Hey, it's really good to be here. Um, I panicked for a moment um, when my hands was on my iPad. I thought I accidentally pressed delete on the sermon, so I would have had to kind of go with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I've still got my message here. It really is good to be here with my wife for the first time in South Africa. Um, I've been a number of times, but it is her first time, and my children as well, and they have absolutely loved their time. Uh, your congregation is very dear to me because the first time I came to South Africa in 2019, I preached in this congregation, and immediately Richard and Amedla became my parents. And so they are my, there's, we are family. <laughs> We're not like family, we are family, and truly across uh, Joshua generation, um, we have so much family, but these are my first parents, and so I always know when to come home. And um, before I dive into today's message, um, I walked in and I walked to the children's stand, and uh, Mornay's wife said to me, oh, your, your children are already registered. I said, no, I want to register me. And uh, she started laughing. I said, no, I'm serious. Am I not young enough? And she continued to laugh. And it made me feel a little bit old, made me feel a little bit mature. And so when I was sitting there, I was reminded of the first time I realized I was a man. And so my mom is a childminder and she looks after children. And when I had finished school, secondary school, I was about how old would I have been finishing secondary school? I was 16, and my mom said to me, I want you to go and pick up one of the, the children that she looks after. So I, I went to the playground of the school, and as I was walking, this little kid ran in front of me. But I wasn't paying any attention. And the mother of that kid said to, the, to her son, don't run in front of the man. And I looked around, and there was no one. I said, I'm a man. And that was the first time I realized I was a man when that lady said it in the playground. And uh, I'm a bit sad that I can't join Sunday school. The first time I preached there, I preached a message, hey bud, what's your story? And really was a message encouraging on personal evangelism. However, as I've evolved in my thinking and in my experience, I've realized that we need the church. You need the evangelists, but we really need the church. And today, I want to preach a message or share some thoughts with you on through the church. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 to 11, the Apostle Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I want to carry on in a moment, but I want to take a little pause and just reflect on some of the words that the Apostle Paul says here. He says, though I am the very least of all the saints, probably because he persecuted Christians and his, his life before meeting Christ was quite wild. And 
He wasn't deserving in his own opinion of this grace, but he says, grace was given to me. It makes me reflect. I, I, I love reading the Apostle Paul's story and reflecting on him, how a man could be saved by grace despite where he is coming from. And it makes me understand and comforted that God can use anybody who turns their life around in complete surrender to him. Paul is one I would have written off. In fact, I myself am one that I would write off myself. I don't know why God would choose me or use me. And it's the same as all of us here. If you reflect back on your life, maybe many of you would reflect and ponder and say, I'm not deserving of his grace. However, the reality is, is that when God turns our life around, he could use a nobody. The Apostle Paul says, I'm like the scum of the earth. He said to the church in Corinth, he said, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were noble. So it's not about the prejudice we place on ourselves. It's about how God sees us. And then Paul says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. We need the grace of God to reach the lost. You know, I could... I've realized we've, I've sat under evangelist teachings who give you methods and strategies how to reach the loss. In fact, there was one guy that was doing a teaching. I think his name's Gary Chapman. He was, he was doing a teaching on how to reach Muslims. And uh, one, one young man in the, the class put his hands up and says, Sir, how do I reach Muslims? What's the first thing I say? And Gary responded to him and say, say, hi, how are you? Because often we think with evangelism, there's a, there's a method to it and there's a strategy. If I do X, Y, Z, then someone will give their life to Jesus. However, it's the grace of God. We just need the grace. We need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. And so I realized that maybe for some people, methods and mechanisms work, but it don't work for me. It doesn't work for me. What works for me is just being led by his spirit. And it really is a grace. And we, we, we're all called to share the message of Jesus to the lost. But for some of us, it may be only one or two every two years. You know, we, we may be the ones that sow the seed but don't reap the harvest. However, there are evangelists. Like Peter, who could preach to a crowd and 3,000 would get saved. The Apostle Paul could travel the nations and the world and people will get saved. However, what I've come to realize is the evangelist needs the church. That actually, people that get saved under the teaching of the evangelist need to be a part of a healthy church. And this is where we play our part. That actually, I may not be the one that reaches the mass, but I can be the one that is the net and the community to cultivate this young disciple. And so I've seen it where evangelists have held big, massive meetings and people have given their lives to Jesus, but I've had nowhere to go. And so the more that we can cultivate a healthy church, then the, the new in Christ, the new, the new births can come and be discipled. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 
10, he says, through the church. It's quite interesting. First, he starts with himself. He says, a grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles. He says, that actually a grace was given to me to reveal the mysteries. But then he goes on to say, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I I have had a slight traumatic experience of when I was younger, waiting to be picked as part of the football team. You know, normally at lunchtime, you would have two captains and people would say, let's, let's pick two captains and two captains would pick which kid they wanted on their team. And there's nothing worse waiting to be picked. You know, like, and everyone's, I've never been the last one. I've been one of the last ones, but I've never been the last one. But, you know, the hard thing about being the last one is both captains are looking at each other like, you can have him. No, you, you can have him. And so this individual feels like, There's no purpose for me. However, the church is God's plan A. The church wasn't uh, God's idea at the end that, you know what, it's the final resolve I have to reach the world. It was his first pick. It was his first choice. It says the eternal purpose of God was to establish the church. And it says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. So when the world looks at us, it sees the many-faceted wisdom, the diverse wisdom of God. And so I want to drive this further home, the idea that we need the church. We need the church. We need the evangelist, but we need the church. The evangelist is just a part of the church. And every part playing its role is where God can get the glory. I'm intrigued. I want to reflect on Peter as one individual for a moment. And sometimes we could think, you know, it's the evangelist. You know, that's, that's, that's the one we need to bring the lost in. And Peter could have felt that about himself as well, that the, the church was about him and his preaching gift. And so if I could bring you on a journey, the first mention we have of the word church in the New Testament is Matthew 16, verse 18. And it reads, And I tell you, you are Peter. Jesus says that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is saying to Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. What is the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on? Let's look at Peter a little further. In John chapter 1 and verse 40 to 42, it reads, One of those who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, 
which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I find it quite interesting here that Jesus' first encounter with Peter is that his name is Simon. And Jesus says to Peter, Today you're no longer going to be called Simon, but you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, just bear with me a moment. I'm bringing you on a journey here. Okay, I find it interesting. Why, Jesus, of all names that you could call him, you, you call him Peter. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, it reads, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is getting, starting, I was, as I was studying, I'm, I'm starting to think this is quite interesting. Jesus, the first time you encounter Peter, his name is Simon, but you call him Peter. The first time you encounter Peter, whose name is Simon, you say to him, you are a fisher of fish, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You know, if I'm Peter, there's going to be an ego that rises up in me that I'm someone special. But actually, Jesus, maybe you're going to build your church on me. Why might Peter think this way? Because the term Peter in the Greek means rock. And so Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Does, does that mean that Jesus is going to build his church on Peter? I wonder, the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church thought it was built on a pope, built on a person. And, it's, and so for Peter, he could think, actually, the church is going to be built on me. But we have to read prior to what Jesus says before he says, I'm going to build it on this rock. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 to 17, Jesus says to Peter and to the other disciples, who are people saying that the Son of Man is? They say, well, well some are saying you're one of the prophets. Some are saying you're John the Baptist. And, and Jesus says, well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus is not saying he's going to build his church on Peter. Jesus is saying on this revelation that I am the son of God, on me, I'm going to build my church. And some churches have made the mistake of building it on a leader. They've made the mistake of building it on a set gift. But actually, our churches need to be built on Jesus being the chief cornerstone. He is the rock, Peter. You are not the rock that Jesus is building his church. In Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22, it reads, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Speaking about the Jews and Gentiles coming together to form the church and they are built on Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And some churches sadly have made the mistake of removing Jesus as the center focus for what they're building, what they're doing, their activities. It's, it's, it's moved on gifts, it's moved on activities, it's moved on social justice, but we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's building the church, church on Jesus Christ himself and not on a gift. And so, as I draw this, this message towards a close, you know, I think Peter, he could have been thinking, Jesus called me a fisher of men. Jesus says, I'm a rock. My name was Simon, but he called me, he chose to call me Peter. I'm a rock and on the rock of me, he's going to build his church. And then we arrive at Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has died and resurrected. I find something very interesting. It reads in Acts chapter 2, 37 to 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort or to encourage them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How about that for a preach? How about that for a preaching gift? 
Peter has just preached to 3,000 people and they've given their lives to Jesus. I wonder if some of us will be saying, that's it. The church is built on me. The church is built on my preaching gift. Right, Peter, what you need to do now is every day we need to do mass crusades around you and you've got to preach. For those 3,000 people, we're going to gather them every day. And Peter, you're going to preach them day and night. We're going to build this church on you. And we're going to have so much people. And maybe we can start bringing in the lights. We can start bringing in some of the big bands. And we can get this going, Peter. We've got a good thing going. Because fishing ain't working out for us. We wasted our life following Jesus for three years. And he died. Why don't we make money from this? Let's make a living from your preaching, Peter. This is how we're going to be brilliant. Brilliant idea. But Peter understood what Jesus was saying. That actually, the church ain't built on one gift. What's very important is to see what follows. I hear many ambitious people who want to be used by the Lord. We, we often say, I want to be used by the Lord mightily. I want to be a Billy Graham. I, I want to be a Jackie Pullinger. I, I want to be somebody that turns the nations upside down. Me, I, I. Actually, we can do that. But actually, if I just play my part, I may not be Peter, but I want to be the church. I want to be a part of the church. Because after the 3,000 people were saved, if we look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, this is where we play our part. If, if you are not a Peter, I know I'm not a Peter, but we can play our part for what follows. And in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, it reads... And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Peter managed to preach and 3,000 got saved. But when the church done its part of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread, to meeting in each other's homes, to gathering in the temple, it goes on to say that the Lord added day by day. And so we can often think of evangelism through the lens of personal evangelism. But Jesus says, by the way, you love one another. Will all people know that you are my disciples? 
and the church, for individuals, we can feel like, I need to pray individually for the move of God, and I'm going to be used. But actually, the church needs to gather to pray together. You may be thinking, well, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous person availeth much. But then the wisdom says from Scripture, two is better than one. And so I no longer need to think of myself in isolation. I no longer need to see a move of God through me. But actually, as we gather together, and I'm preparing to close here, if I could, I, I love a little instrument. I don't know why I'm wired that way. Just to, If there's a keyboardist that can play it. it. It kind of just prepares my mind that you need to close now. <laughs> Thank you so much. But you know, I, I often find it very interesting that when Peter was in prison, the Bible says that the, the church was facing persecution and uh, one of the disciples had died and Peter was in prison. And whilst he was in prison, the Bible says that there was guards around him and his, his hands were chained and he was, he was sat down sleeping. And I always think to myself, Peter, do you think that you're going to die now? You're probably thinking about scriptures that actually I've got to suffer for following Jesus. And what I find very interesting when Peter is in prison is the Bible says that the church was praying. The church was praying for Peter. And when Peter is delivered miraculously from being in prison, the Bible says that Peter goes to the house where the church is praying. And a young girl named Rhoda comes to the door where Peter's knocking and she sees Peter and she's shocked and she runs back to the prayer meeting and says to everybody, everyone, Peter's at the door. And, and they said, look, you're out of your mind. Peter's in prison. You know, I often think, what was the church praying? Was, was they praying that Peter would die and God would give him the grace to die? Were they praying amiss? And then they open the door and they, they see it's Peter. But actually I believe that when the church gathers, there's great power. And that we mustn't isolate it to the one man, Peter. But the P Peter needs the church. He needs the community of God. But in a contrast, I find something even more incredible. Peter's in prison and he gets released from prison. But we see Paul and Silas. There's a partnership in prison. And rather than sleeping, rather than thinking about dying, they begin praising God together. They begin worshiping. And the Bible says that there is an earthquake. And as a result of their praying and their worshiping, people get saved. Two is better than one. We don't need to be an evangelist as just one that reaches the world solo. That a church of maybe 150 people, that is more than 12 disciples who turn the world upside down. But we can play our part by just being the community of God. Never underestimate the power of your praying together. You see, when you gather in your life groups and in home groups 
and you're praying for nations, you just do not know the power and the effects of your prayer. And I don't want to bring direction to the church, but I want to submit it to Richard that maybe this year, just some of you that feel a heart to pray for the nations, to begin praying for the nations together because the nations are your inheritance. Close off on this final story. Two stories. Two short stories. But I want to encourage you to devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to encourage you to devote yourself to prayer. I want to encourage you to devote yourself to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the gathering together because that is where you're going to see growth and souls being saved. But two stories I want to share with you. One, one story very quickly is I remember going to um, central London and I went to one of the, the churches there and I saw about 25 people from Asia. And uh, I went over to them and I, I asked them, you know, what are you doing here? They were just walking around quietly. And some of them had been there for one year in the UK. Some had been for two years and they're living in homes. And they said to me that we were moved by God to move from where we live to come to the UK just to pray for revival. They said, we, we, God has just laid it on our hearts that for the past two years, we just pray for the United Kingdom. There is power in prayer. Your prayers can go a long way. You may not be the one that's going to preach to the mass, but I want to encourage you to pray. And the second story I want to share with you, and I close out here. For some of you that were at the conference, you would have heard, you heard my story of me getting caught in a rip. First time in the ocean, very scary. So I said, I'm going to do something a bit more relaxed. And so yesterday, no, the day before yesterday, I went fishing. I was on the side, weren't in the water, much more safer. But as I went with one of the elders named Ross to fish, I said to him, hey, like Jesus said to Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. So there's definitely a connection between natural fishing and evangelism. What could you tell me is one key thing about fishing? And he said to me, preparation. Preparation is key. And I really believe that you're going to grow. I really believe that you're going to see salvations. But the key thing is preparation. Let's assess our time in prayer together. Let's assess our devotion to the apostles' teaching. Let's assess how well we're doing fellowship and just doing life in one another's homes. Because when the lost come, they need to come into community, come into family.